Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. She has no problem expressing herself. She is a communicator. Okay, now look at verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said three words, I will go. What does that show? Decisiveness. She is direct. She is forthright. She is decisive. There's no, well, I'm not sure. You know, I just set my hair. I have to wait, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know. What about leaving instructions for everything that's got to be done? How about that? give me some time to write some goodbye letters? I have to think about what I'm going to take with me. How many perfumes and shawls can I take with me? I'm just not sure. That's not Rebecca. Let's go. I will go. Now, verse 64, Genesis 24, verse 64. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off her camel. And remember, that's the word nephal also. She fell off that camel. She launched off that camel. What does that show about her? Yeah, she is spring-loaded. <laughs> she is in a state of being ready to launch. She takes action. This is a woman who takes action. All right, now, verse 65, for she said unto the servant, what man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? So she's asking questions there. And the servant said, it's my master, therefore she took a veil, covered herself. So this part, what man is this that walketh in the field to meet us, she asked. What does that show about her? And she is inquisitive. She is inquisitive to discover. She's not satisfied to just wait to find out. She wants to know now, who is that person? She's full of questions because she wants to know and she wants to know now. She's inquisitive to discover. Okay, now, the next chapter, the one we're in now, chapter 25, verse 22, and the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? That's the part I want to focus on. She said, if it be so, why am I thus? She went to inquire of the Lord. Okay, what does that show about her? She is prayerful, but also, it's a little hard, but it's inquisitive to understand. See, the first one, the first one, inquisitive to discover. This is, she wants to understand. It's not that she's saying she wants to be delivered out of this, but she just says, why am I this way? I just want to know why am I this way? She's not just happy to know the what. She wants to know the why. Why am I this way? This is the type of woman that, you know, she just doesn't use the mixer in the kitchen. She's got to take it apart and see how it works, you know. <laughs> That's the way she is. All right, now verse 5, chapter 27, verse 5. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went out to the field to hunt for venison and bring it in. So now we know the history that's going to happen here, but when she hears this, she hears this, and then she invents this plan. She devises, she's inventive. She invented this plan all by herself quickly, and it was a clever plan, and it worked. I mean, she was an improviser. She invented quickly on her feet. And now look at verses 6 and 8 of chapter 27. Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, make me savory meat that I may eat. Bless thee before the Lord for my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Okay? This shows again, she's taking initiative. She's taking initiative here. You know, she, if something needs to be done and no one is doing it, she's going to jump in and get it done. And then in verse 8, she says in chapter 27, Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. 
okay? See, those words, I command thee, it shows that Rebecca is a commanding type of person. She doesn't request, she requires. And so, and then uh, in verse 13, chapter 27, verse 13, his mother said unto him, upon me be thy curse, my son, only obey my voice and go fetch me them, get on with it. And so, in other words, here we see that Rebecca is a obstacle remover, She is a problem solver. She will bulldoze obstacles out of her way. When Rebecca says, upon me be thy curse, she's saying, if there's a curse in the way, Rebecca says, I'll take your curse. Just get on with it. Get on with what I command you. You don't want to get in her way. And then in verses 14 through 17 of chapter 27, and he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. Rebecca took goodly raiments, which were in her house. She put them on Jacob. She put the skins of the kids upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. She gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. What does that show? She is a take control person. She's not leaving anything to anyone who might mess it up. Give me your hand. I'm going to put it in your hand. Give me your neck. I'm going to put it on your neck. Give me your your arms. I'll put it on your arms. You know, where are those clothes that I have that are Esau's? She's a real take control. Now, in the end of verse 46 of chapter 27, it says, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Jacob, take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are the daughters of the land. What good shall my life do to me? Now, who's she saying this to? She's saying this to the man who's madly in love with her, and he couldn't think of living a day without her. So when she says, I'm weary of my life, I don't want to live anymore, what good does my life do to me? It shows that Rebecca was very able to express herself (laughs) very effectively, (laughs) and she was very able to make her feelings known. And then in the next chapter, 28, in verse 7, where it says, and Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram. See, when it says that Jacob obeyed his mother, it shows she was a major commander in that home. She was someone to obey. But then when it goes on in verse 12, and it says, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. See, when Jacob identifies himself as Rebekah's son, that shows she was the dominator in the home. She was the predominant one in the home. Now, you might say, well, I'm glad I'm not married to her. (laughs) It doesn't matter. (laughs) The point is that that's Rebekah. This is Rebekah. Rebekah is energetic. She has a pretty face. She's beautiful. It's a good thing she has a pretty face. (laughs) Anyway, she is energetic. She has initiative. She's a communicator. She's direct. She's forthright. She takes action. She's inquisitive to discover. She's inquisitive to understand. She's inventive. She's commanding. She removes obstacles. She takes control. She's expressive. She's a major player in the home, and she's predominant in the home. And the point is, is that that's the baggage that came with Rebecca. And it all went along with Rebecca, and Isaac vowed to love and accept her the way she was. She was very different from Isaac. You could not find more opposites than Isaac and Rebecca. Rebecca is type A. She's a poster child for type A. She's animated. She's energetic. She's forthright. She's in-your-face New York style. By great contrast, you know, type B, I mean, Isaac's about as Sephardic as they get. He's retiring. He's non-confrontational. He's accepting. He's peace-loving. He's submissive. He's passive. He's sedate. Where Rebecca initiated, Isaac didn't initiate. He carried through with what others initiated. See, where Rebecca, she led, Isaac didn't lead, he followed. And where Rebecca commenced, 
Isaac didn't commence anything. He just continued. It reminds me so much of, of Hartmut, who worked for us, Hartmut and Marlene. I met Hartmut and Tree Climbers Club with my little son, 1978. And Hartmut, he worked for us. He worked at Scannabodies. Hartmut was the master cabinet builder from Hamburg, Germany. I mean, we still have cabinets that are made by him. They're just indestructible. And he was married to Marlene. And Marlene was Jewish from France. She lived on the beach of Nice. And you couldn't find more opposites. He was the fine craftsman, the precise, organized, orderly cabinet maker from the land of close tolerances. You know? And Marlene, she was born and raised in the land of, say la vie, you know, the land of not so close tolerances. You know? <laughs> I mean, I used to be amazed. I used to watch Hartmut sometimes to go to the cabinet shop and watch him. He put his tools away and he would actually say to the tools, he said, all right, guys, line up. <laughs> and one time I rode in Marlene's car, and I thought, I don't know if there's room for me to fit in the car with all the sand from the beach and the beach toys and everything else, the kids. And in her car, nothing lined up, you know. But Hartmut loved Marlene. And when Isaac, when he saw Rebecca, he said, I will love that woman for who she is, for what she is. And if you really want to see the difference between Isaac and Rebecca, just think of the time, the history you've already studied, when Isaac was going up to Mount Moriah with Abraham. You realize that when he was going on that trip there that Isaac only spoke once and he only asked one question. What was the question he asked? Yeah, where's the lamb? In Genesis 22, 7, he said, Isaac spake unto his father. He said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? That's the last thing he said. And then Abraham answered Isaac and said in verse 8, chapter 22, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. See, the end of that verse, they went both of them together. It shows that's the end of the questions for Isaac. He's happy. Now, see how Isaac and Rebecca were opposites. Let's just imagine if Rebecca was in the place of Isaac, (laughs) and they're going up there. (laughs) And she gets that same answer. You know, Rebecca, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. You wouldn't read, so they went both of them together. That's not how the verse would end. Rebecca would have stopped right there and right then, and she would have fired one question after another to Abraham. She says, she says, you know, that may be good for Isaac, but that's not good for Mrs. Beck here. She said, what do you mean God's going to provide a lamb? I've never seen God provide a lamb before. How is God going to provide that lamb out there? Oh, no, I need more details, more details about this provide issue. What do you mean God's going to provide? That's not working for me, Father Abraham. I need details now. That'd be Rebecca. I can't see any lamb. Where's this lamb now that he's going to provide? Tell me about this lamb that he's going to provide. How big is the lamb? What color is the lamb? Is it a male lamb? Is it a female lamb? How do you know God's going to provide this lamb? Man, she would have come right out there and said, am I the lamb? Because <laughs> I'm not moving one more step until I get some answers now. <laughs> That'd be Rebecca. And you know what would have happened? Abraham would have given up. He would have returned. And he would have said to God, the woman's not willing, <laughs> just like he said to you know, Ezer. <laughs> but on the contrary, Isaac gets the answer God will provide. It's good enough for him? No. See, unlike Rebecca, Isaac's attitude is, okay, I'm sure it'll work out. I don't need to understand it. Abraham's leading. I'm following. He seems to know. It's good enough for me. See? But Isaac loved Rebecca. And Isaac took Rebecca to wife, and he never let himself get angry at her, and he never let himself get bitter at her. Like it says in Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them. See, Isaac forgave Rebecca for her sins, and in so doing, every time he forgave her, he just threw a cover over her sins, as it says in 1 Peter 4.18. 
Above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. See, now we know there are two opposite personalities, and so now we can read the last verse in Genesis 24, verse 67, like this. And the passive follower type, the passive, the sedate, retiring Isaac took the outgoing, energetic, animated, initiating Rebecca, and she became his wife. And he, on the one hand of the personality pole, loved her that was on the other end of the personality pole. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. See, in spite of how different they were, in spite of how different Rebecca was from Isaac, because Isaac loved Rebecca, there was unity in the home. And when there was unity in the home, when you looked at that home, you said, this is a good place. This is a pleasant place. You look at that home and you'd say the words of Psalm 133.1. Behold, about this home, behold how good and how pleasant it is for Isaac and Rebecca to dwell together in unity. And you'd say, boy, this home, it's just like seeing the oil that's been poured on the top of Aaron's head. And you just see that oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. You just see that oil just running down his head and on his face and on his beard and it's dripping from his beard and it's going onto his coat there and it's running all the way down to the bottom of the coat and it's dripping off the bottom edges of his coat. And God said, that's what unity looks like to me. It looks like the Holy Spirit, it looks like people yielding to the Holy Spirit, covering every part of their life, thought, and words. And I look at that and I say, now that looks good, God says. That looks pleasant. And you know what I'm going to do? Blessing commanded from heaven. What kind of blessing? Life forevermore. That's what it says in Psalm 133. And that was the home of Isaac and Rebekah, all because he took Rebekah to wife and loved her. Now, we see a problem. And we come to verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Rebekah was barren. Three words. Rebekah was barren. The problem was that they were trying to have children, and Rebekah was barren. She remained barren. Those three words in verse 21 were devastating for Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah was barren. They wanted with all their heart to have a baby, And for all their wanting were these three devastating words in verse 21. Rebekah was barren. They tried and tried with all their trying, three devastating words. Rebekah was barren. They needed a baby so badly because the promise was going to go through the baby. But with all their needing, three devastating words. Rebekah was barren. You know, I never realized how devastating infertility was for a couple until our company developed an ovulation test kit for infertile couples. And so we were going to launch it first in in England. So we went over there and did a market survey in London, England, among infertile couples. We got them all together in the room and talked and had these discussions. Whoa, what an eye-opener that was. Where they told us, let me tell you what it's like. And I came from those meetings, and I thought, there's only one word to describe this. Devastating. Devastating for the husband. Devastating for the wife. Is it me? devastating for the couple, devastating for their marriage, devastating for their extended family. There's been so much emphasis today on contraception. The more major problem goes unreported. 25% of couples are infertile today. Today, a couple is considered infertile if they've tried for two years to have a baby and they failed. When a couple tries for a year, they're concerned. And when a couple tries for two years without having a baby, they're considered infertile and they're beginning to feel devastated. Every year that a couple goes on trying to have children without success is a mounting devastation. 
Couples wonder, is the problem with the husband, the wife? Every year brings more and more devastation so that when a couple goes through five years, they're completely discouraged and they come to the conclusion we'll never have children. So we want to ask the question, were Rebecca and Isaac in the one-year group or were they in the two-year group or in the five-year group without success of having children? According to verse 20, how old was Isaac when he married Rebecca? 40, all right. According to verse 26, how old was Isaac when the twins were born? 60, 60. Quick math, 20 years, 20 years. Isaac and Rebecca have tried to have a baby without success for 20 years. They weren't in the one-year concern group. They're not in the two-year frustrated infertile group. They're not in the five-year give-up group. They're in the 20-year group. It's very devastating because of the three words in verse 19, Abraham begat Isaac. Abraham did his job. He begat Isaac. God had promised that his promise is gonna go through Isaac. And we just saw in verse 24 the tremendous anxiety over this fact that Isaac's 40 years old and the boy doesn't have a wife and all the female candidates around him are off bounds for him. And we saw all the drama of going to find a wife and that Eliezer, he practically kills himself, jumps through hoops to bring back this wife for Isaac. So at the end of verse 20, at the end of chapter 24, when we read this, and Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife. See, in that verse, we saw, well, Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, took Rebekah, she became his wife. We figured when we saw that verse, when we saw the couple walk into the tent and we saw the lights go out, we thought the next thing we'd hear is a baby crying. No, 20 years, no baby cries. And Rebekah was barren, we read. Meanwhile, what about God's promise to continue through Isaac? There are no babies. As for God's promise, those three words, Rebecca was barren. People around the couple, or people who are surrounding the couple of Isaac and Rebecca, they're looking for a baby, and it puts more pressure on them. I know what that pressure is like. You know, I, didn't, we, I remember how in our first three years of marriage, we didn't have any children, and I'd always go over to my best friend Mike Johnson's house, his very Filipino house, and every time Mike's very Filipino mother, Tony, would greet us, she would stay in her very strong Filipino accent, no babies yet? Where are the babies? Why are there no babies? It just made us feel a little uncomfortable, you know? Now it's three years until David was born. Imagine what it was like everybody greeting Isaac and Rebecca and saying to them in a strong Hebrew accent, <laughs> no babies yet? Every time those questions were asked, they felt more devastation from those words, Rebecca was barren. So at the end of verse 19, when it says, Abraham begat Isaac, it's as if to say, Abraham and Sarah did their part and produced an Isaac to carry on God's promise. Now it's high time for you, Isaac and Rebecca, to do your part to carry on God's promise. But there's those three devastating words. Rebecca was barren. There's a real obstacle for God's promise, and the obstacle is three devastating words. Rebecca was barren. And you know what made it even worse? For Isaac and Rebecca, you know what made it even worse for those three devastating words? Rebecca was barren. Verse 16. Verse 16 made it worse. So there sits Ishmael with his 12 sons. And everyone is made to know. I'm talking about a family gathering. Oh, let's all get together. We're going to have you know, Thanksgiving, whatever. You know. Let's have a family gathering here. And here comes Ishmael with his 12 sons. Here comes Isaac and Rebecca. And everyone is made to know that those just aren't average sons. They're way above average. They're just not ordinary sons. They're extraordinary sons. Why, do you know that each one of my sons is a prince? Tell them. Tell them about the great towns and the great castles that you've all built. And there's just not enough time if these get together for them to tell all their great exploits and their achievements and the blossoming of these 12 princes that are the sons of Ishmael. 
I mean, Isaac's family is just flourishing with children and world-class grand achievements. And then over there in the corner sits Isaac and Rebecca, all alone, no children. And so they say, so Isaac, what have you accomplished this last year? Isaac says, I dug a well. (laughs) Compared to Ishmael and his vibrant, flourishing family, Isaac seems lifeless. He just seems dead. Why? Three devastating words. Rebecca was barren. And the others say, maybe next year. Maybe next year you'll have a, a baby. And Isaac and Rebecca hang their heads in three devastating words. Rebecca was barren. But under their breath, everybody's thinking, what a pathetic sight. And such a pretty girl wasted on such a dud. <laughs> I mean, Ishmael's family is talking so much about themselves that no one even notices when Isaac and Rebecca, they just slip out in humiliation because of three devastating words. Isaac was barren. See, the picture of the barren family of Isaac and Rebekah compared to the flourishing family of Ishmael, isn't that a picture of Christians in the world today? We're like Isaac, while the world's like Ishmael. See, the world prospers and prospers and becomes mightier and mightier in its self-centered development. But while godly Christians in the world, they're the imprisoned, they're the downtrodden, they're the treated like the off-scouring from a dirty frying pan. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13, We hunger, we thirst, we're naked, we're buffeted, we have no certain dwelling place, we labor working with our own hands, reviled, we are persecuted, we suffer, we're defamed, we are made as the filth of the world and as the off-scouring of all things under the state. See, in Lamentations 3, 5, he said, thou hast made us the off-scouring and refuse in the midst of the people. Trash. In Luke 21, 17, you'll be hated of all people, of all men for my name's sake. We can just hear Ishmael taunt Isaac with the words, Isaac, after 20 years of marriage, you are lifeless. You have no children. Look at you. Look at me. I have 12 sons who are 12 princes. I have 12 rulers of castles and cities. Which one of us do you really think is going to inherit the land? You're lifeless. You're dying. When you die, you won't have any children to inherit the land. Isaac, I'm thriving. I have 12 sons to inherit the land. Which one of us you really gonna think, really think is going to inherit the land? See for yourself, Isaac, it's obvious. Why don't you just give up? Isaac, do you really think you're going to inherit the land? you really think that I'm going to serve you? And you see that pathetic Isaac and Rebecca couple over there in the corner with no children, and you're telling me that his offspring, which are none, they're going to inherit the earth? You're telling me that all families of the earth are going to be blessed by his offspring, which don't even exist? You're telling me that his seed is going to be more in number than the sand on the sea and then the stars of the sky? You're telling me from his seed is going to come the Messiah, God in the flesh, the hope of all mankind? Is that what you're telling me? I think you need to go to the Bet (laughs) Meshuganah, which is the crazy house. Now, especially think of who was like Isaac. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see him now, no house to be born in? His mother with the contractions, desperately trying to find a place to have her baby? You see them pleading? For just a room in the inn for him to be born, you see the innkeeper saying, I don't have any rooms for you. Would you go away? And you see her contractions becoming dangerously close. So it's like now and the frantic desperation, we got to find a place for him to be born. So the innkeeper just wanted to get this embarrassing couple off his doorstep, just gestures the barn and says, well, you're no better than animals, so go over there and be born, be with the animals. And the quick, desperate preparations for his birth, and he's born among hay, You don't even have a crib for him to be laid in. Instead, some old, dirty feeding trough that animals have slobbered in. That's his crib. And now you're telling me he's going to be the king of Israel. You're telling me he's going to rule the earth. You're telling me he's going to judge all men. You're telling me that every knee is going to bow to him and every tongue is going to confess that he's God. 
That one in the dirty animal feeding trough among the animals, that's the one you're telling me that everyone's going to say he is God? You need to go to the Bet Meshuggah crazy house. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it's true. We thank you, Lord, that with God, little is much. And with God, all things are possible. And we thank you, Lord, that even in the barrenness of Isaac and Rebekah, you worked and a child was born. And we thank you, Lord, that even with no place to be born, you worked. And be it a feeding trough, you were born and you are God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.